0: Jason kind of threw me on that one. I thought he was going to start with the, uh, the Air Force, and then he just kind of jumped real quick. I
1: know. I got gotcha. you. I about off the road. He surprised <laughs> me, too. <laughs> hey, guys.
0: Welcome to the uh, Danny and James podcast. I always say show, but it's a podcast. Um, my name's Dan, uh, U.S. Air Force veteran. We have... And I'm, I'm James, Marine Corps veteran. That's right. And uh once again it's Danny James Podcast. Um J- J- James is actually calling in as well as we have another call in Ivy Kruger. Correct, Ivy? Yeah. Uh well
2: I'll 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 correct you. Okay. It's Krieger, Krieger, even though for like fifteen years
0: my husband let me say it wrong. For fifteen <laughs> years you said it wrong. So what, Yeah, what's I'm like you good? could have corrected me. Yeah, right. <laughs> So it wasn't even it wasn't even during the vows he corrected you.
2: <laughs> no, no, he even let the minister say it wrong. <laughs> oh.
0: Wow. Well, look at that.
2: Yeah. But yeah, so uh it's Ivy Krieger. Um just retired first sergeant from uh the United States Special Operations Command here at Fort Bragg. First sergeant.
0: Look at that. Well, congratulations on your retirement.
2: Thank you. Yeah. It's been a whole you know, I think I just hit 12 months last week. And I'm like, man, that's a fast year.
0: Yeah. W- once you get out, it goes quick, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, so you, so how long have you been for? 20, 30 years? Or?
2: Uh, 20 years and
0: one day. Can you get that extra day in, right? That one Not day. that I was counting. <laughs> COVID gave me an extra day. Well, that's great. So U.S. Army. Retired, 20 20 years in a day, or 20 years in a wake-up. How about that?
2: Yeah, 20 years in a wake-up.
0: I like that better. Yeah, you like that better, don't you? (laughs) Um, So, uh, uh, Ivy, what was your uh, MOS, if you don't mind telling us?
2: Um, So, when I first joined the military, I was a topographic engineer, so I made maps. Um, And then I went over to PSYOPs. For about five years. And then I reclassed and retired as a civil affairs first sergeant.
0: Civil affairs, huh?
2: Yep. I think I spent the longest stint as a civil affairs um, NCO. I did like 13 years as a civil affairs NCO. Jeez.
0: 13 right. years. I don't think I've done anything for 13 years. I'm going to have socks that are 13 years old. <laughs> I know. I was like, I, this
2: is actually my longest stint or commitment
1: to anything. <laughs> right? So well,
0: that's a testament. Absolutely. Yeah, I. you know, we talked about retiring when we, we didn't. We did our our four years, right? I think I did four years and three months and two days. How, how about that?
2: <laughs> Not that you were counting.
0: Not that I was counting.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was my initial plan. Uh, but unfortunately, so I joined the military um, about nine months before 9-11. Mm-hmm. And while I was... My I was literally on my way to my first duty station when nine eleven happened and I only had like two years left and I got stop lost. Um uh, so I, I got extended past my four years to almost five and a half years. Um and then, you know, you always have that one recruiter in your platoon that's like, Well, if you're already at five and a half, you might as well do
0: eight. Right. And
2: then the story kinda goes on from there.
0: Wow. Yeah, that that's that's amazing. No, they were looking to boot me. Get you need to get out. We need to rest. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: they were, they were like, yeah, hey, we, we, we got to reduce some forces. You got to go. <laughs> but that's a career recruiter trying to keep me in, but unfortunate incidents, of, you know.
2: Yeah, it happens. I, I think I was uh, a victim. I wouldn't say a victim, but I was a victim of circumstances. Uh, I got. <laughs> stop loss, and then we went, you know, downrange, and we got extended for another nine months, and then it just kept going on and on, and I'm like, you
0: guys are never going to get rid of me. No. <laughs> it, <but laughs> I'm <that's>, here, like... <laughs> that's good.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> so, so um, you must, so you, like we talked earlier, you said you were head to school after this, so you must have done the, the GI Bill, correct? Yes, I did. Okay. That, that's- I...
2: Yeah. So I'm, I'm in grad school now for public health. My my plan is to be a public health nurse. Um, but again, you know, my longest commitment to anything is my marriage to the military and my husband. So we'll see how that goes.
1: Um,
2: (laughs) I only have three classes left, but, uh, these long nights after doing, you know, I, I, I still have a regular job during the day that I work almost 12 hours at. So, um, you know, get, getting finished with that and then going to class for two and a half hours at night is starting
1: to get old. So I bet. I'm,
2: uh, I'm trying to push
0: through. <laughs> but, but as a, you know, if I was running or hiring, and I looked at a candidate that's, you know, did did the X amount of time in the military, you know, worked a full time job, then utilized, it, went to school at night, and had a family, you know, that that most definitely put me on the top, <laughs> put you on the top of the list, you, you know, for getting for getting brought on, you know, because that that says a lot to be able to do all that. You know? Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Um
2: <laughs> I mean, like I may not be qualified, but I'll show up. <laughs> You'll show
0: up and show up on time.
1: Right? Yeah, right.
0: I'll be on time. Not a hit to you, Jason. <laughs> Don't make me play sound effects. No, no sound effects. <laughs> Dan loves the sound effects. Oh, yeah, it's my favorite. <laughs> that, now, did you go to school as well while you were in, or you just it was all...
2: Yeah, this is actually my second um, graduate degree. Because, wow. um, you know, when you're in the military, like, it's free. And I always told my soldiers that. I'm like, I promise you, if you tell me that you want to go to college while you're – if there's any white space on the calendar, it's yours. Right. And I'm doing the same thing, you know. And as a first sergeant, you have absolutely no time. And I was just like, you know, I'll just chip away a couple classes at a time. Um, and so, like, I graduated, like, three or four years ago. Um, the first time, the second time, I guess. Um, and so, uh, but my thing was like, you think when you're in the military and you're like surrounded by what your job is all day, every day, that this is what you want to do when you get out. That is not necessarily true. So I'm like, I'm going to, you know, it's kind of hard. I don't know if you guys are familiar with civil affairs, but I think that a lot of times we are likened to like the peace corps slash PAO, like, you know, branch of the military mm. uh, so I thought I would get into intergovernance, maybe work with USAID with vulnerable populations and that kind of thing, but um, there's a lot of there's a different side of politics and governance that you don't see when you're in the military um, so yeah, I was completely like, yeah, this is not for me, let me try something different, so this is definitely out of my wheelhouse but we'll see what happens
0: Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's one thing that we talked about earlier podcasts is you know the things you did in the military really don't translate well out, mm-hmm. outside into the civilian world. You know, and, and it, it, heck, if I've been doing it for twenty years, do I really want to get out and do that as well? So that's great that mm-hmm. you're able to take take the opportunity to to utilize those free. Well, you're saying free, but when I was in, yeah, they were free. But one of the classes I think I took was like Arthurian legends, and you know, I was like, you know what, uh, I'm done. I'm not taking this class, (laughs) you know, so I had to pay back. I had to pay back the the money that.
2: Oh, believe me. I've had to pay back a couple of times because uh, various deployments. And then I was just not interested. I think that uh, you have to have a certain type of discipline um, when you start dual hatting like that. Um, For me, I thought I could, but that the the cycle of deployments and, and the things that we were doing back in Garrison, it was not, it was not uh, conducive to me going to school full-time at night. So yeah. I, I've definitely had to pay back some monies uh, for dropping out fun. of classes.
0: So. That's not fun.
2: No, it's not, especially mm-hmm. when you're like a private.
0: Right? <laughs> and yeah, you and make like five bucks. <laughs> yeah, you're pulling in 400 bucks every two weeks. <laughs>
2: Have you ever like, uh, you know, rummaged through your old army or military stuff and seen your old pay stubs?
0: I've never seen my old pay but yes, I did through some of my other, older stuff, but I was able to look up online what my pay grade as an E3 or an E4 back in the 90s. I'm like, my God, how to survive?
2: I you know? know. I actually, you know, I my husband and I, we just moved to our retirement home, and I say that lightly because he's not even in his mid-30s yet, but <laughs> yeah. um, I looked and I was like, how in the world did I live off of $412 yeah. a month? Yeah. That's absolutely crazy. But, you know, to be fair, they were paying for our lodging and our food and right. all those things and our clothes. Yes. But man, you know, I look at it now and I'm like that wouldn't even cover like my mortgage. Like what is going on?
0: Yeah, it wouldn't even cover a <laughs> cell phone bill. You
2: know? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Right.
0: So, do you do you have um to go back to say to the beginning to boot camp and we always ask if any if you have any funny stories from boot camp? something funny that happened to you or something that sticks out to you. Do you have anything like that for us?
1: Well,
2: um, so I don't know. It's not funny. It's just, it's just weird. Um, so I didn't have your traditional, like basic training. Um, my first MOS only, uh, had schools twice a year and it was in January and, uh, we would have graduated like January 10th or something like that. And the, the class started like on the 6th um and then you know you have to do all the onboarding and in processing and stuff like that and then there was the, the inauguration uh George Bush was getting inaugurated so they're like hey we got to get, get you guys out of there so i actually did like the first 2 weeks of basic training with what my my initial company and then like I did three and a half, maybe four weeks with like every company that was going through a new phase, I would just start with them. So I had an accelerated basic training. I did not get to do all of the, like, you know, you march across and the smoke comes up and they hand you your, your dog tags and you get, I didn't get any of that. They literally (laughs) marched me for 26 miles, me and like three other people that were in this course, um, We did the range week. We did the gas chamber. We did all this stuff in like, you know, two weeks. But we didn't come out with our original, uh, you know, battle buddies that we started with. And we get back after, you know, just getting smoked for like a week straight. Our bags are packed next to this van. And they give us our tickets. And they're like, "Uh, you'll have someone that will meet you at Dulles Airport uh, when you guys get out. Congratulations. (laughs) And then that was it. it, And I was like... Wow. Okay. That's basic trading. Yeah. So, nice.
0: so instead of getting recycled, you, you got fast forward, you know, that's great. Yeah.
2: We got fast forward. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my, I mean, I have like no basic training experience outside yeah. of that.
0: Um, wow. that's good. So, yeah. Cool. <laughs> so how long were you, that, that was the, um, uh, Topographical, right? The, uh, the
2: Yeah, the 12 Yankee course. Yeah, so yeah. that course is now at Fort Leonardwood, I believe, in Missouri. Um, but when I went 20 years ago, it was in Washington, D.C., at the National Imagery Mapping College. Um, it's like right down the street from the Pentagon. So you can imagine <clears throat> the high profile. Like, I just didn't know how to act. I am 19 years old, 20 years old. Yeah. And, like, everybody up there is brass. Um, and, and we're like the only handful of privates that are just fresh out of basic training. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was daunting. Um, but it was interesting and fun. I've always been a big fan of cartography. Um, I used to love this show called where in the world is Carmen San Diego. Um, and I think honestly, uh, that was probably a little (laughs) bit of my motivation, uh, for joining the military. So it kind of worked out. I got to play with some maps and uh, I got to travel the world. So Yeah.
0: that's great. So, so where did you go with that?
2: Um, to the desert,
0: Because <laughs> oh, <fine. laughs>
2: fun, fun. you know, like right after I grad, I mean, literally not even two months after I graduated, nine eleven happened. I mean, I was, it was so quick. Uh, you know, they told us to pack our stuff. We are like, when you get to your initial, Um, duty station. This is not, um, you know, common for everybody, but you know, they, they, they already pack you up. Like you have your A bag, your B bag and your C bag. And you know, C is for training, A and B is for deployment. And and you never really unpack them. And so you just throw them in the back of your wall locker and you, you go about your business. But yeah, they were just like, um, it was kind of surreal because we were in Hawaii and when everything was happening, it was like three or four o'clock in the morning. Um, and so like I, I get a phone call and I honestly thought that, um, you know, I thought it was like, Oh, it was kind of surreal. And I didn't believe it when I first got the phone call from one of my girlfriends that lived in Georgia and I lived on Fort Shafter, um, with, and there was only like maybe a thousand troops, um, that were, that were out there. And it was an open base. And I, I remember that I lived on the eighth floor and I looked out toward Pearl Harbor and all of the ships were leaving. And I was like, Oh my God, what oh. is happening? Yeah. And I started flipping out. I'm like, they're going to leave us on this island. Um, and then shortly after that we were gone, like, you know, three months later, it wasn't even three months. It was probably like two months later we were out the door. Wow. So to the that's as far as i went with it i got to uh kuwait and we were going in and out of iraq and um i didn't really get to use my cartography skills that much um because i was in graphic design i you, how it's broken up is like you have the people that actually do the satellite imagery um They burn the plates, I guess that's what they're called. And then you have the people that actually print out the maps. And so I was in the design area where we would actually have to go in and scribe the roads that got blown up so people would know which way to go um, with these paper maps. But, yeah, I did that for, man, I had like three or four deployments out there. And then I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's hot hot out here. Done. Yeah. To
2: oh gosh. And the sand, you know, and that's the thing. I was stationed in Hawaii and I never went to the beach. I am not a beach person. Oh. So going to the desert was not fun. <laughs>
0: no, I bet sand and boots sand all over mm. you. So from Definitely. there you said, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this. I, I want to change my MOS and you went, and then you went to what? Yeah. So
2: I got offered, well, actually I got recruited. Hmm. Um, I was in, I think I just got back from my last deployment and I got pinpoint orders to the PSYOP battalion and I spent, um, two more years there in the desert (laughs) and I got a phone call and they were like, Hey, um, they are looking for some females to join this, a new. It's not. It wasn't a new branch, but they were making themselves. They were just one battalion, and they were standing up a brigade. And they were like, "Hey, we're looking for some female candidates. Think you'd be a good candidate for this." Um, you know, just civil affairs, and I was like, "Oh, I really? Don't know what that is." And they're like, "Yeah, we don't really know either. They just they usually augmentee, you know, special forces, and uh, they do a lot of work with like UNN, UNOCHA, USAID." Uh, Doctors Without Borders and I'm like well that sounds like something I could do. I don't want to go back to the desert though so let's like make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, So I went through the (laughs) so yeah um, I tried out I guess you can say I tried out so um, you have to have a language. Um, I started out with Spanish but there was like way too many Spanish speakers and they're like no we need you to have like a different language so you know you take your defense language aptitude battery test and uh they gave me arabic and i said nope i quit
1: because
2: yeah. <laughs> i know if i speak arabic you guys are going to send me back to the That's desert right. yeah. and they're like well well we've got this other language and i was like oh, okay i'll take it and it's like tagalog and i had to go look it up because i had actually never heard of the language before
0: never
1: heard of that
2: but i was like oh it's filipino oh, so i'm man. like yeah i got it i can do this yeah and they have a lot of cognitives of Spanish. So it was a cakewalk for me, but yeah, I did a year going through the pipeline and then they shot me out into civil affairs.
0: Wow. That's so, so you, after you, you went to, you went basically back to tech school and to, to learn, to learn Filipino, I guess. I. I, I, I
1: yeah, we did six
2: months of language uh, school at um, SWIC over at here in Fort Bragg. Um, and that's just a portion of it. You go through all of these different lanes. You have to go through seer school and you know, there's a lot of, there's, it's, it's a long process. Yeah. I, I was the very first long course. Uh, they cut it down after us, cause we were in for like 13, 14 months. Um, and then they cut it down to nine months, which of course that's my luck, but.
0: Wow. You, you know, I, I worked yeah. with, with uh, my, you know, we'll call it MOS. I worked with a lot of uh, people who, who were, linguist and it always amazed me because you know i grew up for you know french and, and trying to learn french and going to school and trying to learn french and my, my folks spoke fluent french and, and i could never pick it up and I, and I was like man how'd they learn a language in like six months you know it, it it's it's oh insane.
2: it's uh well you know i i think this is what my instructor told us was that if you come from a family that is bilingual it's usually a little bit easier mm. for you to pick up a language and for me like you know um my father spoke French and Arabic and uh different like uh Swahili so like I grew up hearing different languages um and apparently when I was a kid I spoke really great French oh, but of course it. if you don't use it you lose it right? right I couldn't even tell you I know bonjour yeah
0: that's funny <laughs> Because I'm, um, I'm trying to teach myself French with the uh, Duo app, ten minutes a day, bam.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good app that um that can help you. But so we only got um one week of English, and then they stopped speaking English, and you just had to learn what she was saying. Um, and that's how we learned. And every time we used English, we would have to put a dollar in a jar, and it got very expensive to be in that class. I bet. <laughs> so,
0: so like it, you kind of
2: have to force yourself.
0: So it was pretty much just throwing you in, in, into the fire there at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. So you had to learn Fili- Filipino, because I forget what the language is called. Um, Chigalic, yeah. Tagalog. And then they stationed you in the Philippines or in the South East?
2: No, actually, that's not... Um, you. I thought that would happen, right? Yeah. Um, but no, I never actually have was stationed in the Philippines. Um, <laughs> so oh. I... Ended up going to back to Hawaii again, so I have literally probably spent more time in Hawaii than I have here at Fort Bragg, that and like insane. Fort Bragg is my home station. Um, so our major command for Pacific Command, the PACOM area, is in Hawaii. So like I got sent there first, and uh, you know it is what it is. Uh, yeah. So SOF is um, very much a male dominated kind of environment, uh, wh- we do have in the support, um, uh, agencies, if you will, you know, in PSYOP and civil affairs, we do have females, PSYOP has more cause they've been around a lot longer, but civil affairs, when I came in in 2008, um, I was one of like 20 and there was 27, no, 2300 civil affairs specialists between officers and NCOs and there was just a handful of females and I was the only NCO for like the entire time.
0: Well you know that kind of wanted me to it helps me lead to the next next question about you know you know you're our first uh female um, veteran that we've had on and it's always been males and so we never had the opportunity to, to see what it's like as a female to be in the military you know I could tell you all day long what it was like for me but you, you know, I didn't have that type of... I'm assuming there was a lot of adversity for you um, being in the military as a female. Is that true? Yeah. Is, can you talk on
1: that?
2: Um, yeah, so I always... Like I said, I always try to explain, like, everyone's military experience is a little different, right? I did not even have, like, the conventional Army experience. I, I kind of grew up in special operations, but um, I learned early on that you know, when you're in like a male dominated, like environment, um, you kind of have to pick sides. Um, and I know that's weird, but like, um, you know, for instance, like you can't be, I say you can't be, it is what it is. Right. Um, you can't be smarter, faster, stronger, uh, than your male counterparts because then they kind of alienate you or you get tabbed as, you know, a certain type of person. Right. That's awful. Um, and then, you know, but if you, if you play yourself down too much, then you become that incompetent female that nobody wants to work with. Like she doesn't know her job or she can't do this. So you got to like toe the line. There's a very fine yeah. line that you have to walk. And, you know, that kind of goes on for, I won't say so much in the, in the earlier ranks. Well, I was like an E2, E3, whatever, um, I'm coming out of running cross country for five, 10 years running track. Um, I was, I'm super athletic, right? So Mm. I was not, if not the fastest, but I could compete with all my male peers. Um, a lot of times that pushed them to do better. Um, and then other times they're like, man, you know, she's, she's out there. She's like doing her thing. Um, but then as you get into like the upper echelons of rank structure, um, it gets a little more political. I would say, and this is just me speaking on my experience. I'm not generalizing for anybody else, but um, oftentimes there's like a competition that you don't know is there. And um, you think that you're a part of the team. You think you're, you're, you're trying to like stay with these guys and do all the things that they do, but you know, it's almost like you're trying to get in on their territory and they're like, you know, peeing on the wall. This is my spot, you know? And I, I, will tell you like my first experience in, in special operations, I was really intimidated. I came in, I will never forget. And this is actually how I met my husband. Um, but I came in, um, the, we have like these team rooms. They're just basically offices where each team hangs out and each team is consisting of like four to six people. Cause you always, the main body is four people, but you always have like two extra just in case. Um, but I, I remember walking in and, uh, there's like a staircase in front of the door and that's where all the team rooms were and all the administrative offices were on the bottom and they have this big conference room and I was walking past it cause I was looking for the orderly room yeah. to like, tell people that I was here and like find out what team I was on. And I remember walking in and hearing these guys talk and they're like, did you hear that there's a female coming to our battalion? I don't want that. I don't want that be on my team. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, what have I got myself into? Like, it's so like after going through a year of just like suck and finally getting to your unit. And that's the first thing you hear. It, it, it dropped my soul. Like, I I was shaking. I was so terrified because I'm like, they already hate me. Yeah,
0: you, um, you would think by the, you know, the, the 2000s that we'd, we'd be over that. you know what I mean?
2: Oh, no. It's, it's awful. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and I was the only female. So I was like, and I remember, like, you know, walking in there and the admin clerk was like, um, are you the new, um what did she call me oh yeah she thought I was a new supply specialist and I was like no No. and she's like well who you work for I'm like I don't work for anybody she's like what's your job and I'm like I'm at 38 and she's like really and I was like yeah and she's like oh we've never seen any females around here and I was like oh okay and she's like good luck (laughs) (laughs) and that was it and I was like oh this what have I done
0: (laughs) and just but I'll be honest like it
2: took yeah, it took about, it took it took one deployment, I think. Um, and I think things turned around. So I will say that was my most harrowing experience. But I think that, you know, there, there's always a defining moment that changes their mind about yeah. you for better or worse, right? So it sounds like they um, have the right I,
0: person, they, they, they put the right person in that job by, by putting you there, you know, to change their mind.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I like to think so. I mean, we're all really good friends now. So, um, you know, 15 years into it. So
0: good. So, so after that, um, you, you were always in Hawaii or what was one of your more, I I, keep bringing up Hawaii, but one of your more memorable, uh, duty stations and to see if we can relate some food to that, because we always like talking about food, right, James? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh man. So no, uh, i probably I spent a lot of time in Hawaii, but you um, know I, mean, I was all over South Asia. So I didn't do any tactical civil affairs deployments. So I always have to remind people that, like, you know there's two sides of civil affairs. You have your diplomatic side and then you have your tactical side. So I worked in the diplomatic side, and I worked in embassies all over South Asia. I would say that my most memorable duty station was in Indonesia. I spent one. Mm-hmm. I, I probably went back there two or three times. Um, beautiful country, beautiful people just, ah, I, I would actually live there if I could. So one of the other things is, uh, when we go to these different, um, embassies, we have to learn a little bit of the language. So you have to be conversational is what they call it. So you have to be able to get in a taxi, tell them where to take you, know your directions and, you know, make small talk. So, you know, I knew a little bit of Bangla, Indonesian, um, wow. Man. like Tagalog, Cham. Man. Uh, so yeah pretty... I, I learned about four or five languages i, I can't uh, remember conversational. conversation right. <laughs> yeah well you have to test out every year so like i had a i had to keep up on it
0: so in indonesia would you ride any elephants or a lot of kayaking or i mean
2: oh, none of that none so of that. <laughs> that none of that um, Really? so indonesia is oh man it reminds me of New York City, but with less um, modern like infrastructure. It's a beautiful city, um, oh. but it's just it's so crowded. There's so many people. Like when I was in Dhaka, um, Bangladesh, you literally like it was just you couldn't walk down the street without touching somebody. Like it was just ugh. overwhelming. Um, um Yeah, so Bangladesh. I, I mean, that's like mm. ugh, I have flashbacks. Um, yeah, that- but Indonesia. In the city, in Jakarta, um, it's just like any other city. It's just very, very crowded, a lot of smog. I remember being there and, you know, oftentimes we would take trips and go to Bali because it was just so crowded and congested. You needed a break. You needed a mental break from it. Um, And then there are times that, like, so there's mountains um, (laughs) that encircle the city, like Jakarta's in a valley. Hmm. And... It would be so smoggy for months that I didn't even know. After living there for a year, that I was surrounded by a mountain range until we had monsoon season, wow. and all the clouds had like cleared out all the smog. And I'm like, "We're surrounded by mountains? Like, wow. What is
0: this? You're not selling Indonesia to me. You know, I always thought there was like a lot of rainforest, and you know, oh, there oh, is. So okay. Like you know, all right.
2: Indonesia is like a huge archipelago. Like yeah. there's thousands of islands, like Bali is beautiful. Um, you know, Madan and West Sumatra, like that's where all the monkeys are. And then you have like, there's, Oh my gosh, just absolutely gorgeous. But like, you know, the diplomatic circle is in Jakarta. So that's where I spent my time when I wasn't out, you know, about doing surveys and whatnot. But, um, and like most countries that I was in, like, you know, I was in Singapore, I was in Malaysia, your diplomatic circles are always just really congested in the heart of the city. But mm. when you spread away from that, I mean, South yeah. Asia is just a beautiful place to live.
0: Yeah. You'd have to get away a lot to, to, uh, to enjoy those, those areas. Huh?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, um, now I know right now we're, we're having some serious issues in, um, that area right now with uh, China. Mm-hmm. Um, that mm-hmm. uh, was just, you know, the, the, uh, we just, I think the U.S. a couple of days ago said, look, we're, we're having, we're, uh, we're doing a diplomatic boycott to the Olympics, and they kind of like, yeah. well, you do that, we're going to retaliate, and then I guess uh, Australia, Canada, and uh, the UK also jumped on board on that one. And James mm-hmm. and I talked on past podcasts about what's happening out in the China Sea. So I, something's, something's crazy going on out there, and we we've been following it, but you know, you got any any inside? Uh, <laughs> um, Well no,
2: again, so like. Um, I guess geographically, right. Yeah. Um, South Asia does not include like, um, anything above. So you got South Korea, North Korea, Japan, China, uh, Mongolia, Mm -hmm. Nepal. That's North China. That's geographically how we break it up in the military. So I didn't really have much interest in what was happening up there until I, went up there. So like I spent, a, you know, a couple of years in, in South Korea um, and a little time in Japan in Okinawa. So um, I will say as a civilian now that I can. Um, so China is very much like I'm trying to find the proper word. Um, they're like bad creditors, right? They're like not bad creditors, but they're like those people that give you like those micro loans that, End up giving you like high interest that you don't see like those balloon payments at the end right. that are like in that such small fine print and, and vernacular that you don't understand. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're paying like 600% interest. So that's what China's been doing. They basically go out into these countries that are very vulnerable economically. Um, and we've been in that position before after 9-11, after the 2008, um, housing crisis. We private, private businesses were, were, were in a tough spot. And they were looking for ways to kind of like stretch their dollar. And I think that um, in hindsight, mistakes were made. So um, I think China's taken advantage of that. They're like, yeah. hey, I mean, to be quite honest with you, like the microchip shortage right now, that's not because we ran out of plastic. That's because China decided they weren't going to give us anymore.
1: Right.
2: Uh, and we had a heavy reliance on what we were getting from them at a very uh, competitive price. And then they were like, well, you know, you're going to sanction us. We're going to stop giving you microchips. We didn't stop. They just started giving them out to their manufacturers first and gave us the leftovers and said, hey, make it enough. Um, and that, of course, is now making the market for buying new cars really hard. Uh, well, not really hard. It's harder for, you know, the companies that are. in the the dealerships that are actually selling these cars because you can take your car that you've had for 10 years and sell it to the dealership for what you bought it for right now, because they need the parts. They don't really care for the car. So, um, there's a lot of what's happening out in South China. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a control thing, right? Um, they're like a, yeah, it's, it's like a really bad relationship. Yeah. That you want to leave, but you can't because you've invested too much time and energy and, and you have investments together and you have homes together and you have kids
1: together. Right.
2: That's what it is. That's what it's like between China and the U.S. right now. And every time we try to break away, we get a new president that feels like we can fix this relationship. And I'm like, I'm sorry. This is probably one that we're going to have to let go and just see what happens. Like, let's take it to court and, yeah. and see who wins. Yeah. Um, so but you also have to. Yeah, it's, it's really it's an economic thing. Uh, China's always said that they know that they cannot go at the U.S. force to force, but they can come at us economically, and they have. And they've done it over and over again. And they've done it down in South America. They've done it in Europe. They're doing it in Africa right now. They're buying up land sight unseen, and they're bailing out these small countries and communities that cannot economically afford to take care of their people. So China's like, hey, let me build an embassy here. Let me build an air defense you know, missile station here, and we will, you know, provide jobs, and we'll do this, and we'll do that. Not understanding, and I think they understand, but they just don't care in the strategic sense that we care, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't think they're
2: doing it maliciously.
0: So So with us being America and having manufacturers over here, we can't just manufacture the chips for these automobiles yeah we actually
2: are they just started um about 90 days ago um i think there's a company up in michigan um that's starting to make the microchips but you know unfortunately we don't so (laughs) this is a theory right um i'm not speaking from a place of like a subject matter expert i read i do my research and i talk to people um so they're trying to make these microchips um but it's like Uh, You have a great chili recipe. You give me all the ingredients except for the one that makes it great, right? Right. right. So they don't have, like these cars are manufactured overseas and brought here. Very few cars are made in the U.S. anymore. So a lot of these microchips that they need to make, they don't have the special sauce. So that's why they're buying the cars that we have here for top dollar so they can steal that technology (laughs) and make new chips. Uh, And that's going to take a while. yeah Yeah, so they're expecting these chips to roll out in 23 maybe 24 so right now the consumer can really take advantage of what china's doing to us but in the end it's really going to kind of make things difficult for you know car buyers just like the housing market everybody's like sell your house it's worth so much well i mean that's what happened last time yeah and i i would venture to say in about nine months, I'm going to be able to buy a $500,000 house for five bucks. Yeah. So we'll see.
0: Yeah. yeah. The, the inventory right now in Florida is, is, is very lacking. So yeah. Houses are, yeah. I was
2: actually planning to move down there, but I was like, my goodness, Not you can't right find anything under 800,000.
0: <laughs> no, no. no. There, there's That's a crazy. new, there's a new, um, Bartos blowing up to, you know, the town we live in. Um, and there's, there's houses that there's like 15, was it 1500 square feet and they can be going for like 3000, you know, 300, you know, I'm like, Gee, how do you, yeah, how do you yeah. afford that? You know, how do you afford that? That's it's madness. Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, give it a year or two and it'll be right back down. <laughs> yeah. I give it like eight
2: months oh, <laughs> to wow. be quite honest. Look at you, uh, well, you know, like there's, we're in between um, cycles, right? So we just had our two year and then you get a break and then now we're going to gear up for the 24 elections. True. Uh, and this is usually what happens in 2024. So about 18 months out, this is when all of the, you know, um, advertising comes down and recruiting and X, Y, and Z. And I, every time that happens, like you see a shift in our economic, um, portfolio. Right. So I don't think that this, um, housing boom is going to last that long. I mean, we've had a really good run. You know, we flooded the, the economy with dollars that we just kind of pulled out of the air. Like mm-hmm. none of the money all that stimulus money that we just gave everyone, Um, where did it come from? You don't just like, you literally can't pull money out of thin air. Somebody's got to pay for it. Yeah. Right. Taxes.
0: Those Um, those trillion dollar bills are being passed, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, like I have nothing against like, you know, and again, I I'm not knocking any political, whatever. I'm just saying like this is economics 101. You can't just print money and give it to people and you can't say, Hey, I'm going to pass, you know, I'm, I want the infrastructure to be fixed. Right. Yes. Nobody wants to go on bumpy roads and, you know, have bridges fall over your head. And, you know, like our train system is just like, right. I have lived in countries that are considered third world countries that have a better, you know, infrastructure than anything that rivals in, in the U S you know? Mm. And so, yes, we do need to update our infrastructure, Absolutely. but at what cost? Yeah. So like, it's, yeah. Yeah, but I get know? that.
0: I, I understand that, yeah. you, you know, and, and, and I would like for that to happen. It's just, you know, like you said, at what cost, you know?
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, you can't please everyone. Um, I did have an opportunity to go work at the White House, um, but unfortunate events happened earlier this year that prevented me from doing that. Wow. And uh, one of the, the questions I was asked was, you know, <clears throat> about some of our our policies. And I was just like, you know, I think that what, happened with politics is like we you know we kind of like separated ourselves from our our big brother across the ocean and we're like we'll do this and we'll do it the right way and everybody's voice matters and everybody's vote counts um but you can't please everybody (laughs) and you definitely have to just take a stance like hey i know this is gonna suck and it's gonna suck for people that don't want to be 100 percent on board but if you're just fifty percent on board, we can make this happen, mm. you know. Um, and I think that right there is like a, a military mentality. Like we have to embrace the
0: suck. Embrace the suck, yeah, for the
2: better. Yeah, yeah, for the betterment of everybody, you know.
0: So, uh, uh, you know, there's we'll there's, there's two terms that that I've always pulled out of the military is embrace the suck, and then the other one is lead, follow, or get out of the way. You know, what I mean, I, I, exactly. I kind of live by both those. Um, so exactly. when you say embrace the suck. I love it. it just brought. Flashbacks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is what it is, and I guess I'm not quite indoctrinated back into civilian society yet. So a lot of my and I have a government job now, and I still I spent all my time with green shooters. Mm. So I haven't quite divorced myself from being in the military. But it's tough. I mean, there's a lot of values that I still stand by. I mean,
0: yeah. it, it, oh. it is what it is. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough thing to break, huh, James? Yes, yes, it is. I have to agree with you. Yeah. So, and I know this is probably the most political we ever got on on our podcast. You know, it <laughs> so,
2: is. So, yeah, I'm, I try to stay away from these topics, because right? I'm like, I am, I, am a military baby. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do a military. Food. I was Nineteen years
0: old. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I, I'm like, what? I, I asked you what your favorite food was in Indonesia. And next thing you know, we're talking about card chips and whatnot. So let's (laughs) let's kind of get back to that food
1: food
2: I will say uh, nasi goreng, right? So nasi goreng is literally translated as fried rice. It's amazing.
1: Hmm.
2: It's amazing. From
0: from Indonesia.
2: Yeah. I mean, they just make it different, you know? Um, So I will tell you, like, a lot of the foods that I've experienced in South Asia, like, I've never, like, eaten monkey brain or... Mm Like we see chickens. I will never forget one time our um, interpreter took us out to his village and he's like, you know um, my cousin is a police chief and he wants you to meet his baby. So I always throw this disclaimer out there. So um, for me, it's different Um, being a female. um, So Indonesia is a Muslim country. Like it's 99% Muslim, like 1% Christian. Hmm. So like, females, unless you're in Jakarta proper, like outside of Jakarta, it's a little bit different. It's not like you what you would see in the Middle East, but in Western Sumatra, in those areas, it very much is. But like, not for the most part, it's not as strict. So he takes us to his uh, cousin's house, and we're all kind of sitting around. And I am used to seeing open kitchens. So basically, it's at the back of the house. And it's, like, got a cook stove or, like, a cauldron or whatever. And, like, a little area where they clean their meat and stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's farm animals everywhere. There's, like, goats and chickens running through the house. And I'm, like, holding Mm -hmm. on to this baby. Like, oh, this is great. And so everybody, like, no one ever sees um, white people in these villages or black people. Mm -hmm. So, like, me and my team leader, he's from, like, Kentucky. Here I am from Oklahoma. And they're just like us static. And they're like, Oh my gosh. And they're like putting the baby in his face and telling him the blessed, bless her bless baby. And I mean, like we're having a great time. Yeah. So they're like, Oh, can you stay to eat? And I was like, Oh gosh. So I'll tell you a secret. Um, I develop allergies depending on where I'm at right? right. because I've I seen how food is prepared. So I'm like, no, I can't eat beef. No, I yeah. can't eat pork. Uh, I can't eat fish because <laughs> yeah. I know how it's being prepared. Right. So, um, we're like, yeah, we we can stay and eat. As we're sitting there talking, like, one of the um, ladies that were in the house, like, kind of just walks this goat past us and they go goes dinner. into, like, the back kitchen. And I wasn't prepared, right? No. I just – she literally slaughtered this wow. goat in the kitchen next door to us. Like, we were, like, in the next room. Right and I was like, oh, my sweet Jesus, I cannot do yeah. this. Oh, my God. How am I going to do this? So they start bringing out, like – um they make this blood soup um, oh, and they put like chopped onions in it. And like you, you everyone eats with their hands too. Like there's no utensils. Yeah. Kind of like a community family thing.
1: Right.
2: Hot and pot. you know, hot I'm, pot. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my goodness. So like, I am looking at my team leader, like I cannot do this. So I used to, um, carry like these napkins around and I would wipe my mouth and spit my food in it and tuck it in my in my, my cargo pants pocket. Wow. <laughs> and that's how I would get
0: away with it. So but, now I um, understand why it was the rice. I like the rice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love rice. Yeah, rice is the uh, best yeah
2: <laughs> the best thing you'll eat there. But yeah, I got the um it's called um Bintanga Nice, right? Mm. So if you could even guess what that means, but Yep. It means star anus. Bintang means star anise. Is, so you can imagine what part of the goat I got. Oh and it God. was the, apparently yes. like the best part. And I was just like,
0: oh. wow,
2: there's no way
0: I've no, eaten I'm the ass I'm end not, of a goat.
1: There's I'm no way. I'm not doing it.
0: Bung. I'm good with bung. It is <laughs> <laughs> hey, a throw. That's wow. I just stick with the rice. Hey, hey, yeah. uh, hey, James, you, you're going to cook some bung on the, on the uh, on the uh, green egg this weekend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: no. No, no, no. Maybe, maybe you can go out to pulp seat and get yourself a goat.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: I was like, there's no way my team really looked at me and he was just like his whole face turned green. And I'm like, I yeah. can't, I can't, I absolutely cannot. I can't. I mean, it's staring at you and I, and then, and the animal, like the carcass is like in the next room. Oh. I couldn't do it.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. You ain't kidding. That thing just walked by me. I could have pet it. Now you want me to eat its ass? No, I'm good. <laughs> what do they say? Man. What do they say? Farm to table? Farm to table. Jesus. Oh. Yeah. That was like, that was like someone's pet two minutes ago.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh man. I mean, we've had several incidences like that. Like we'd be outside and there's like chickens. And I'm like now, I mean, like I grew up on a farm, so it wasn't like, you know, I'm not yeah. afraid of chickens yeah. or whatever. But, like, when they ask us if we want lunch, and they're like, which one do you want? I'm like, I, was, I just named her. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? This is
0: Betty. Yeah. No. <laughs> I can, can't eat her. Can we go to Publix and get some Greenwise wings real quick? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're like, yeah, you got to catch your food. Go at it. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. It was great. Look, look, I'll eat the rice. <laughs>
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know, I ate a lot of rice. I mean, like yeah. I came back, and my husband's like, "Dude, you eat an incredible amount of rice." I'm like, "It was my diet for like three years."
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness! Now, so, so you probably you know sitting there and go, "Man, I wish I was back in Hawaii eating that." Uh, was it mochi? What's yeah. the, the ice cream with the the? Mo- oh yeah, the mochi. Yeah, mochi. Oh my god, that stuff's delicious. Oh, what about- so guys? Is it spam a big staple out there?
2: Yeah. Um, so I I like, you know, I, I will say I spent a lot of time in Hawaii. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but if you go to like McDonald's or something, right? Mm-hmm. And it does not matter in whatever country I've been in. I have been in Europe. I have been in Asia, South America. If you order a number one, it has to be a Big Mac. But that, right. like, literally, that's right. all it can be. Like, you can't go wrong. And the first time I go to Hawaii and I order a number one, I don't even check my bag because I know what it is. Right. I get home and it's like a spam, it's spam, seaweed and rice. And I'm like, what
0: is this? Two, two scoops of rice.
2: I, I, was, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, man, the worst. You know how you just like, you can picture what's in your bag and you're still yeah. ready to eat it. And then right. you open it and you see that and you're just like, what the hell is this? <laughs>
0: yeah. You, you you can smell the McDonald's burgers and fries, Right. Uh, Yeah, it's like
2: in the air around it, but it's not that.
0: (laughs) No, you're getting two scoops of rice and spam with seaweed. And spam (laughs) with a little bit of seaweed. (laughs) I was like,
2: oh, the sorcery. The sorcery. (laughs)
0: How do they throw me like that? (laughs) Mm, Get
2: you every time.
0: Yeah. Well, Avi, I know we got another podcast coming in and and, uh, um, we appreciate you sharing your stories and. And you know, yeah, it was a good time, guys yeah, absolutely and And I know we talked yesterday real quick and and maybe we'll have to save this for another time, but you not so much the beer drinker, but the bourbon drinker, right?
2: Yeah, I'm actually drinking uh each small batch right now. Oh
0: wonderful i I just bought some in South Carolina that I can't wait to go back. it's a it, w- it was a distillery there and it was a habanero mango and
1: oh, Ooh.
0: oh my God, it, it dangerous. It was dangerous. I I was like, I can only have one of these or I'm going to have to Uber out of here, but we, we, we do appreciate your time. Uh, James, you got any more questions?
2: No, no, not at this time. I know that we have to go, but we'll have to definitely have her back on if she's available.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. It
2: was a good time. I enjoyed talking to you guys and I really appreciate, uh, you calling me, um, I haven't had an opportunity to actually talk to anybody about my military experiences since I retired. Yeah.
0: So it's really fun. And, and that's what we tried to do because, you know, the whole body check and, and make sure you're okay. And, you know, some people do have issues and, and we make sure they're fine. And some people, they just want to talk with somebody and just to share their experience and, you know, help out. And, and we do appreciate you. And I'll have to thank my sister, Megan, for this one. Cause she introduced us, correct?
2: I know she's such a gym. I love her so much.
0: <laughs> she's a great woman. She's actually in Florida right now with her daughter they're cool. doing a cheerleader a cheerleader cheerleading yeah yes. yeah i saw that yep yeah. so she's down here i'll be able to see her maybe and leo leo is it come it will is down in florida so we might have to get him to come in real quick to do some little uh, snippets or cuts for us right cuz everybody loves yeah, leo good time with leo <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but Ivy, i do appreciate it um appreciate your time we'll we'll put a, cup, a cut on uh, facebook and people will be able to and if you want to share this out, um, we'd appreciate it as well. But thank you.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah. All right. I think that will do.
0: Thank you.